What a delight to be here. What a delight and a privilege to be able to share, you know, from God's word this morning. Um, I'm really excited and I'm honored. You guys are awesome. You're wonderful friends. And to be able to stand in front of you and share is a privilege I take very seriously. Thank you. Well, the message today is uh, steering for victory. Steering, steering for victory. Now, we've uh, just commenced a new year here, and we're probably in week about three of it. And uh, it's quite possible many of you made some resolutions. Yeah? Yeah, not going to do this. No, I'm going to do this. And you've probably blown some or all of the resolutions you made. Why? We'll talk more about that. Steering for victory. Steering for victory. Paul uses analogies of races sometimes to uh, explain, expound on spiritual truths that are contained in God's word. He uses uh, these kind of analogies to stretch our mind to embrace some of these truths, to comprehend, to connect the dots for us. And so I want to kind of uh, piggyback on that style, if you will. Now, like most guys, I like car racing, sport car racing, rally cars. We have a rally very popular in, in Kenya and East Africa called the East African Safari Rally. This was started by the British back in the 50s, the colonialists. It was their sport, but we embraced it big time. It's very grueling. Covers about 800 miles per leg, has three legs over about seven or eight days, over very, very rough terrain. It's tough on car, man, and the teams that support these dri- uh, rally drivers. Many lose their lives in these rallies. And very rarely the competitors. It's often the spectators. I remember as a young kid, my dad used to take me uh, and my brother, my younger brother, uh, to some of these strategic spots. They're spots where we like to gather. Those spots are usually very sharp bends where these cars would come and you just see these dramatic effects of the cars negotiating the bends or places where they were kind of like humps. So you'd see some of these high jumps like you can see uh, in some of those pictures there. It's tough to navigate through that kind of terrain doing excess of 150, 200 miles an hour on non-paved roads. More about that in a moment, but first let's pray. Our Heavenly Lord and God, we're just thankful for this time that we come together to fellowship and share from this great resource that is your word. We thank you for the encouragement that comes from it, the wisdom that is shared, and Lord, the directional focus you give us through it. Thank you for your spirit that continues to remind us and challenge us to walk this way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've all heard about many warnings to do with the tongue, or words, or our lips. 
James puts it this way in James 3, 5 through 8. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue. Really, only God can. More about that. These are pretty harsh words, very, very sobering words. And I think it warrants qualifying from the very onset here that relative to the time that James wrote these words, we have multiple mediums today of expression. TV, video, YouTube, audio, FM, satellite radio, social media networks, chat rooms, blogs, many, many, many more. All these could be classified as really tongues of sorts. As long as any one of them are an organ that we as individuals have control over and can use that control to express ourselves, including picture words. So if you're on Instagram, or if I'm on Instagram, which I'm not, and I had to have my gang sign uh, poses, you know, you know, on there, or whatever, you know, those are, I, I would be saying something, wouldn't I? Yeah, those are words. That's a tongue of sorts. I'm expressing, I'm saying, I'm projecting something. There's an English saying, the tongue is the sharpest of all blunt instruments. The tongue is the sharpest of all blunt instruments. The tongue has been responsible for starting battles and fueling wars. It's been responsible as being the chief instrument in quarrels and arguments, in deceit. It has sparked jealousy, strife, separation in families. It has worn down many with depression and mental isolation. It has spiraled wholesome lives out of control. It has driven many to suicide and others to murder. It has taken advantage of the weak. It has taken advantage of the unaware and the innocent. It has been responsible for filling many up of our prisons. The tongue is indeed guilty of many ills. Indeed, it was a tongue that uttered deception in the garden, inflamed a mind with pride, and caused really the fall of all of mankind. And all of mankind, carried in Adam's loins, continued to propagate this waywardness down through the generations to what I would consider some kind of wicked thoroughbred today. Let's look again at that saying. The tongue is the sharpest of all blunt instruments. Sharp here obviously could mean, and does mean, effectively dangerous. True? 
But sharp could also imply positively effective. How about we look at that piece? So in spite of everything we've just discussed and heard about the tongue, the tongue indeed does have its place. In fact, someone once said, if the tongue had not been framed for articulation, then man would still be a beast in the field. I'd remove the word still because we were never beasts. But the tongue was framed for articulation. The fact that we use our tongue to express ourselves really renders us unique from the rest of all of God's creation. I'll put it this way. See, knives, knives are good. A knife can peel an orange, can slice a tomato, and it can also cut your throat. What's the difference between slicing the tomato and cutting your throat? The difference indeed is the intended purpose. The intended purpose. If you use it for the wrong reason, you will harm. Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. I like how he starts that. Through Jesus, therefore, because we have connected, because we have tasted of Christ, through Jesus, the only way we can offer this sacrifice of praise is through an intimate experience with Christ. Through Jesus, because we've tasted that, Ha-ha! Now, therefore, let us offer continually. It is a product of the relationship. Psalm 63.3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. What were the lips or the tongue for? To glorify God as a product, as a result of his love for us. Which love is better than life. Love man, keep my life. Love man, keep my life. We just had communion here moments ago. Celebrating how he gave up his life, body and blood. So we can be connected to him. So we can be reconciled. That is love that supersedes even life. And because we comprehend that, ah, my lips now are left with no, no alternative but to glorify you. Yes, scripture says it is with the mind that we worship the Lord. But it is with our lips and with our tongue that we glorify him. God's wisdom is expressed via the pen of Solomon like this. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, The tongue has the power of life, it also has the power of death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Whether you love the life in it or you love the death in it. Either way, the investment is ours. Again, we live in a society that has become increasingly vile, very sensational. It's become very self-centered, 
saturated with negativity, with drama, with criticism, with slander, with gossip, with plenty of sleaze. And unfortunately, yes, this world seems to ambitiously seek such. All you need to do is turn on the TV today, and you see much of it. They are not called TV dramas for no reason. Keyword drama. Even news channels. It's all about drama. Interview this and bring another interviewee uh, that is a polar opposite of the other so that you can have this dramatic effect. Because that's what the audience seeks. Social media sites, those on Facebook, many are turning them off. Even more are turning up their privacy settings, trying to cut off people because of the comments that are being left there. You watch some of the, go to some of these YouTube sites or uh, blog sites uh, or even on LinkedIn, you know, where you have, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, leave comments and you just look at the nature of the commentaries left by people. I think it's very revealing of where the heart of our society is. Very negative. Well, this is nothing new. Jesus saw it and lived it. And thus his prayer in John 17, where he prayed for his disciples, and by extension even prayed for the followers that would come as a result of the fruit of his disciples' preaching. And he said, Father, I pray that you not take them away from the earth. Don't remove them, but protect them. Insulate them from the enemy. This was his prayer. How do we do? This world has a death tongue, if you will. And this world is on a course, a trajectory to eating the fruit, as we just read in that proverb, of that death tongue. I interact with a lot of people in the course of what I do for a living. And I see a lot of people who try to play tough. You know? uh, union guys, and yeah, 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 you know, so, seven, you know. And, uh, but it's all really a, a facade. It's a facade. A lot of people play tough, but on the inside they're screaming and groaning for attention. They are hurting for relationship, for connection. They're looking for peace, for direction, for, for relief, for embrace. Many have never been recipients of any kind word. Grew up getting called all sorts of names. Good for nothing. Get out of my way. You know, like they're a burden. Many have never heard anything warm. I've never been embraced with love. And in so doing, and by, genu- by love I mean genuine, real, true love. A love that is not looking to get anything. And in so doing, a lot of these people have kind of developed this crusty, tough, or maybe even withdrawn exterior in order to preserve themselves. It's a coping mechanism of sorts to help them get through. So it's a life of deceit, but really in trying to preserve themselves. 
We too, infer, in, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, are immersed in this world. Again, Jesus said, don't take them out of the world. Keep them there. So we are in it, though we're not of it. And we're exposed to the risks that come with living in such a society, such a world. The old tries to worm its way back to corrupt the good that is being built, that is being established, that is being firmed up within us. So how do we steer for victory? Back to the rally. Like the rally cars and the drivers that drive them, we need to imitate their skill. No matter the course or the terrain, if you look at some of those cars, you'll notice as some of them are negotiating bends, very sharp bends, the car is really off alignment in relation to the road. The body is way out here. But if you look at the wheels, the wheels are focused right on the road in the direction it wants to go. Some of those cars doing those jumps five feet in the air takes tremendous skill to ensure that when that car touches back on that terrain, those wheels are pointed in the right direction, or else you could very easily flip over. James puts it this way. We all stumble in many ways. He's talking to believers. And he says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. They're able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example, he says. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Wherever the pilot wants to go. We can steer, James calls our tongue, he likens it to a rudder. It can steer us in the direction we want to go if we point it in the right direction. There's a video I'd like us to quickly watch here. That'll say something to us. That's a father and a son sitting on a bench, their backyard. Notice the little bird, the swallow, that's just flown in. That's breathing. Gonna have to read the subtitles. Speaking in Russian or something. The dad is fixated on it. Keeps asking the son. Γιατί το κάνεις αυτό το πράγμα, μπορείς να πεις τόσο 
φορέσει, μα είναι ένα σπουργίτη. Δεν το καταλαβαίνει. Πού πα. Don't cry. He's not gone. He'll be back. I wish that was a Bible. It isn't. It's actually Dad's journal. Σήμερα ο μικρός μου γιος που πριν λίγες μέρες έκλεισε τα τρία καθόταν μαζί μου έξω στο πάρκο όταν ένα σπουργίτη ήρθε και κάθεσε απέναντί μας. Ο γιος μου με ρώτησε 21 φορές τι ήταν αυτό και το απάντησε και τις 21 φορές ότι ήταν ένα σπουργίτη. Αγκάλιασα τρυφερά και τις 21 φορές που μου έκανε την ίδια ερώτηση ξανά και ξανά χωρίς να εκνευριστώ νιώθοντας στολή για το αθρό μου ωράκι. positive words that dad could have yelled back hey i am your dad how dare you speak to me like that where is your respect no but he didn't he used his tongue differently with wonderful warm results the son got the message Positive words can seem less volatile than negative words, but their power can be very, very surprising. And our tongues are very vitally necessary in doing so. So how do we steer for victory? How do we steer for victory? One, we got to confess and confess sincerely. The Psalms are full of David's confessions. And you know, we are quite drawn to them a lot. There's a reason for it. We relate. We relate to his heart. the struggle therein he he says so openly what we are shy to he confesses openly to god his weaknesses he acknowledges his shortcomings i like the word that was coined here very recently between pastor jim and ryan spellacy saggage Did you catch that one? Our spiritual saggage. That word saggage, I guess, came from some of the sagging tiles. Thus the building fund. Our spiritual saggage that we need to lay before the Lord. Honestly. Bearing ourselves before God for his forgiveness and grace. Someone once, uh, very recently actually, sent this uh, little email out. Saying, Dear God... So far today, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been 
greedy or grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Amen. (laughs) So looking out, I see a lot of wonderful smiles, which really are an obvious reflection of Jesus' gift to us that's resident within us, the gift of salvation and the presence of his spirit. So this here is just a funny reminder, really, that our walk with Christ is one of continuous repentance. Yes, over and over and over and over again. How else do we steer for victory? By making spiritual declarations. We make these declarations like David to ourselves. Let's look at Psalm 103, 1 through 5. David sings, praise the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to his own soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? Who? My sins. He's talking to himself. He's making declarations, spiritual declarations to himself. Lifting himself, using God's word to strengthen himself. We see that further in 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, where he says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. He was a guy who was an awesome king. He was hot to look at. He was very successful as a leader. And it came a point where people turned on him. They really wanted to stone him. This is a guy who's used to getting so much attention. And now it's negative. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself using the word of God. We need to speak. We need to declare this to ourselves. You know, pathological liars get that way, the way they are, lying to a point where they don't even know whether the lie is a lie anymore. It's actually truth. They believe it. And how do they do so? By continuously vocalizing it, by vocalizing the lie repeatedly. Yeah, they harm others with a lie, but more so they harm themselves. That vocalization does something to their own self. And at some point, they actually believe their own lie. That's how they go pathological. If a lie can have that kind of a devastating effect on you and me, how much more the word of God, which is truth, truth and alive and powerful, how much more should we declare it? We should be like David, and many of us are. It's a good thing. We should also declare to those within the family of believers. So not just ourselves. Let's look at Ephesians. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Indeed they are, aren't they? Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Those are very key words. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another. Once you're filled with the Spirit, now we're going to speak to one another with what? Psalms, hymns, songs. From where? From the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Let's look at Romans 15 and verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they, they the what, the Scriptures, provide, we might have hope. The encouragement we need today doesn't come from motivational speaking or books on tape, but it comes really from the Word of God. Verse 13 and 14. May the God of all hope, Paul says, with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit here, crucial. I myself, he says, I'm convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness because you're filled with the Spirit, you're full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're actually capable to instruct and admonish and encourage and strengthen and affirm one another because you're filled with the Spirit. Very key. Hebrews 10, verse 22 through 25. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience. Again, that spiritual saggage we're talking about, got to take care of that first. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We have to spur one another. We have to encourage, strengthen using God's word. But you know, just like that video we just watched, the father-son, the how is just as important as the what we say. You see, Paul wrote to the Corinthians telling them that we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure that is the deposit of the Holy Spirit and all the wonderful goods that come with him. We operate and we execute the giftings that are within us through our soulish man as well. They come from our spirit, but they come out through our soulish man. And this soulish man is still under process. And yes, we may be susceptible to irritations, to frustrations, to bad days, and all of that. Whereby we say the right thing, but we say it the wrong way. That too may be an opportunity. When we're feeling off sorts, and we want to encourage and strengthen others, but we, we're probably frustrated at the person we're trying to say that to, or we're frustrated by something else, that may be an opportunity to exercise the fruit and have the fruit of the Holy Spirit developed in us, the fruit of love, of gentleness, the fruit of long-suffering. These are not fruits that are just given. They're fruits that are developed. And we are sometimes put in circumstances 
where we have to put some of this into practice for those fruits to be developed, depending on the Holy Spirit through it all. Paul encouraged Timothy and says, practice godliness. And I believe this is what he meant. When the opportunities present themselves, yeah, cash in on that opportunity, try to exercise self-control, and continue to focus on executing the ministry and the gifting that God has put within you. Preach in season and out of season. Let's look at Proverbs 17 and verse 28. It says, Even fools are thought to be wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So yeah, there, there is a time to probably be quiet if we can't uh, you know, really bring forth uh, the message or the, uh, uh, the advice or the encouragement that the Holy Spirit is, uh, you know, uh, has impregnated us with for a specific individual or individuals if we can't deliver it the right way. The what is important, but the how we deliver it is also equally important. There are some psychological studies that have been done by psychologists. Shove people into an MRI machine and try to scan their brains while they feed them with different kinds of uh, uh, images or messages. Positive messages, and they watch how the brain reacts. And negative messages. And they say, (laughs) the brain fires up like a Christmas tree as they feed them with negative messages. Not as much with positive. But with the negative, the brain is just, you know, really alive. It's like there's some kind of excitement. The, 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 The flesh derives from negativity. And I think it's reflective of what we see in our society today. We drive. We are drawn towards the negative. And so I say this to say, if if we say the right thing, but we say it negatively, that good thing is going to be eclipsed or overshadowed by the negative manner in which it was said. The person won't hear the good thing you said. They'll just see the bad way you said it. Because the the mind kind of gravitates towards that. Proverbs 25.11 says this, A word fitly spoken, fitly. Now, fitly is timing, fitly is manner, prose. You know, it could mean all that. Attitude is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Lastly, how do we steer for victory? By professing to others. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says this. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Because we know, we've experienced, we have a relationship with Christ. We know what it means to fear the Lord. We try then to persuade others. We are in plain, sorry, what we are is plain to God. And I hope it is plain to your conscience. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given this ministry. This work has been tasked to us. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And indeed he is. There is a hurting world out there. There's a world that is hopeless and frustrated and confused and destitute. You know, there's no other religion out there that professes its faith. 
I lived in India for a bit. And in the six years I was there, not once did I hear any of the Indian friends I had, and I had plenty of them. Not one of them did I hear come to me and tell me, Hello, Derek. Come on and enjoy the spoils of my religion. We have a smorgasbord of gods. Your choice. You choose. You pick. Over 2,000 gods. Come enjoy. Not once. Buddhism. I have never heard of a crusade in a stadium being held somewhere. And the Dalai Lama is, you know, professing some truths and trying to win people to Buddhism. Never seen Muslims on a street corner or at the State Fair Park or where have you trying to win people to Islam. The profession of our faith is unique to the followers of Jesus. It's unique. No other religion does what we do. And we use words to do that. We are commissioned to be ministers of reconciliation. What a delight. In closing, there is awesome power in the word of God. Whether we are professing it to ourselves and you don't feel the effect of such profession, whether we are professing it to others or declaring it to others and you don't see the immediate response, reaction from the individual, that's not what we're called to look for. We are called to profess. There is a parable tucked in Mark. It's called the parable of the growing seed. Mark 4, 26 through 29. It says this. He, Jesus, also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or he gets up, the seed sprouts and it grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And it happens in farms all around the world. Every year, every season, corn, wheat, rice is planted. Now, remember in school, we used to do a little experiment. We get a little mason jar, put a dry bean seed in it and cover it up with a little cotton wool and some water. And we had to hide it eh, somewhere in kind of like a dark place. Come back four or five days later, and that water is <laughs> bubbly, and it has a stench to it. That seed died. True. Actually, that seed went beyond death and began to decompose, to rot. That's why the water was gooey and bubbly, And that's why there was a stench. But then a few days later, here comes a little root and a shoot begins to grow out of it. This thing was dead. In fact, beyond dead. Where did this life come from? Where? And it happens every season for centuries, to the point where we just take it for granted. 
just you know, plant, 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 and uh, go home and play dominoes or do whatever you know the farmers do, and 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 and, and come back and uh, a few weeks later it's sprouting, and growing, and we don't ask how did that happen. It just happens. We take it for granted. But there's miracles in each and every one of those seeds. There is power in God's word. This is a seed. And he's asked us to profess it, to cast it. As long as we cast it, just like that seed in the ground, it's going to do its business. It's going to do its business, whether to ourselves or to others that we're speaking it to. I remember the story of Jesus' uh, Jesus's arrest in the garden. And you remember you know, the soldiers coming up to him. you know, And uh, Jesus had his posse of disciples with him. And the arresting soldiers say, Which one of you is Jesus? He was there. They saw him in the flesh. But they didn't recognize him. Didn't know it was him. And they probably would never have noticed him had he not opened his mouth. The moment he said, I am he. A word from his tongue. Boom! They fell back. The word was powerful. That's the word that he loves better than life. He has laid his word above his own life. He had rather die than change his word, than alter his word. This is a powerful word. He has bequeathed it to us to use our tongues to encourage ourselves, to encourage others, and to encourage people who don't know him with direction. Let's, in closing, look at this last proverb, 1125. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If we use our tongue for what it was intended for, which is to bless others and glorify God, our own lives will follow the suit, much like that rally car. If our tongue is pointed in the right direction, no matter what the circumstances of our life may be swaying based on the terrain or anything, if we point our tongue in the right direction, it'll lead our body to follow suit. We will grow thereby. The important thing is the declarations that we make, the words we profess, have got to be God's words. That's what has life. That's where the strength and the power is. Let's pray.